on the corporate infrastructure. <laughs> Hi, I'm Dre Campbell, and this is Tell, a podcast where queer people tell queer stories. For the past eight years, I've been hosting and curating a night of live storytelling at BGSQD, a queer bookstore in Manhattan. And now I'm sharing those stories with the world. Again, season two. Just so you know, these stories were recorded at all different times and places throughout the pandemic pre-vax, post-vax, and everything in between. So if you need a dose of queer community or just want to hear great stories told by the people who live them, you've come to the right place. So oil your chain and harvest your SCOBY, because Tell is queering the narrative and telling our stories on our terms. This is a very exciting, special, bonus episode. We're doing something a little different. You're going to hear not three stories today, but a whole bunch of little short, sweet, amazing stories. The shortest, sweetest stories ever to pop out of a podcast. Welcome to Tell's first ever Shorts Episode. Our first story Kira Nagel is a licensed massage therapist, educator, and artist. This story was recorded in December of 2020. Hi, everyone. Woohoo! I will just start by saying that I washed my hair right before this, um, which is not as uh, frequent an occurrence as it used to be given that everything is in this format now but I'm a massage therapist so I know a lot about the nervous system but I didn't know this at the time about the statement I was going to make you know I was queer in my in my teens in my 20s and you know had an idea about what that should be and should look like but I was pretty Femme presenting, hard femme, you know, goth, hard femme. But at some point, you know, like towards the end of college, I was like, well, I'm really queer now. I guess I got to cut my hair off. You know, that's what you got to do, like, (laughs) you know, to fit in with my queer friends. Even though, you know, there were all kinds of representations among the people I hung out with, but, um, I felt like this is like a rite of passage, like Ani did it, I have to do it. So <laughs> I cut all my hair off and, uh, you know, I felt like it was going to be this big, like, here I am now, you know, and honestly, I had, this is why I referenced being a massage therapist. I had what is called phantom limb uh, sensation. <laughs> I constantly felt like my hair was still there, even though it wasn't. So I had, you know, this like pixie cut, a shaved head, but I would still be like 
flip in my hair and kind of in my dreams at night, I would be like putting up a ponytail, you know, like just like gathering all my hair up. And then I'd wake up and be like, oh, where's my hair? Like I felt really like something was missing, you know, that's really my, just my little story was that then I realized like, you know, this is part of who I am, like truly part of who I am. And, and I can be queer me with longer hair and so I spent some time growing my hair back and my hair has been pretty long I actually just cut it this summer because of just being sick of it from the pandemic you know having not cut it for a year but phantom femme (laughs) hair limb (laughs) yeah yeah and I'm also just not as hard femme anymore because of the pandemic like I can't bear to put makeup on so now I'm like granola mom femme (laughs) With mid-length hair. (laughs) The Ani DeFranco song we're all waiting for. Granola Mom Femme. Yay, give it up for Kieran Angle! You can find Kieran Angle at kieranagle.com. That's K-I-E-R-A-N-A-G-L-E dot com. Coming in hot, this second story, Olea Oleyemi is a black trans femme woman, anti-disciplinary artist, educator, and organizer. This story was recorded in December of 2021. Hi, everyone. How's everybody doing? Good, I hope. So I was like wrecking my brain. I was like, what story can I tell? And then I, I thought of a story. I was like, okay, this, this is about the most holiday-ish story that I can think of. So this is the story of the messy Thanksgiving weekend of 2019. Uh, <laughs> so this was like, I don't know, it's just a very odd Thanksgiving weekend. Um, I went to a Friendsgiving and my friend volunteered me to make gumbo that was a sign of things to come. I don't know how I got volunteered to do some shit that I never asked to do. <laughs> so I got volunteered to cook, uh, which was fine. I went and bought everything, cooked, whatever. We went to a Friendsgiving in Brooklyn. Everybody enjoyed it. It was great. This friend I no longer speak to because she turned out to be trash, but she doesn't know how to hold her liquor. And so we were drinking at the Friendsgiving, having a good time. And then she's like, well, let's go to another bar afterwards. So we went to a bar in Brooklyn that I can't even think of the name of. Like, I have no idea what it was called. And she kept drinking more and and just talking shit and just asking the bartender about where she got her hair from and where'd you get your weave from? Where do you get your wig from? I was like, girl, stop it. (laughs) This is not appropriate. And she's like almost falling asleep at the bar. And I'm like, maybe we should go home or you should go home. And I'm like a little drunk too, but I'm like not as wasted and sloshed as she is. She's like kind of gone as she usually tended to do. So then she just insisted on going to the sex party. We used to go to these trans sex parties in Brooklyn. And there was one that night, it's like a Saturday. So it's like the Saturday after Thanksgiving. So she insisted on going. She called an Uber and I'm just like, it's not going to, go well like you're not even like functioning right now (laughs) so we go to the party 
And she basically falls asleep on the couch at the party while people are in various rooms doing various things. <laughs> She's like sitting on the couch, just like knocked out. And I don't know, it was like very hot in the party. Well, yeah, it was hot in more than one way. But I was like, I need to get some air. So I went to the like little, it was like a, a Williamsburg loft. So like there's like kind of an outdoor kind of like fire escape patio thingy, I guess you would call it. So I went out there just like get some air. So I'm like drunk at this point. I've been drinking kind of all night, cooking all days. And I see this guy that I had met there that I was talking to. And we had messed around at like the last party. Really didn't go too far. He like randomly hit me up on like a Wednesday trying to pull up and come through. And I'm like, uh, no. And then he like got irritated that I didn't text him back fast enough. And so I was just kind of like over him. And so like, even when I said hi to him, like in the party, he like acted like he almost like didn't know me. So I was like irritated a little bit. So then he starts talking to this other girl, like in front of me, talking to her, like asking for a number. And I was just like getting irritated. And I was just in a messy mood, I guess. And so I was just like, you don't want to get his number, honey. He's going to call you random weeknights. He's not about that life. Like, fuck him. And he, like, gets pissed at me. Like, what the fuck do you, what the fuck are you talking about? And I was like, his name's blah, blah, blah. He was like, maybe I didn't want her to know my name. I was like, what the, who gives a fuck? Like, you were giving her your number. Like, who cares? <laughs> like, he just, like, went off on me. I was so pissed and irritated. So I went back into the party and... My friend's like halfway drunk and sleeping and halfway like up. And I'm like, I saw the guy, you know, from a few weeks ago or whatever. He like kind of like cursed me out almost. And she like jumps up in her like drunken stupor. Where is he? I'm going to, I'm like, you're not going to do shit. Like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> She's like ready to like curse him out. And like, you're not going to do anything. It's not that big of a deal. Chill out. The party eventually ended. And I was like, I think it's time for us to just like go. Like you're wasted. I'm pissed. Let's just go. So I was very kind of upset. It wasn't like the best Thanksgiving of my life. <laughs> Thanksgiving weekend, Friendsgiving weekend, whatever the fuck. But, you know, like I said, I don't even talk to these people anymore. So they're like kind of irrelevant. And that whole world is kind of like not even a world I'm in. So, you know, it's just a very weird, messy Thanksgiving weekend. But I can laugh about it now. It's not as dramatic as it was at the time. So yeah, it's the story of my messy Thanksgiving weekend of 2019. <laughs> Give it up for Olaya! Yes! Woo! We have been at those messy sex party Thanksgiving. <laughs> We've all been there, honey. <laughs> I mean, raise your hand, haven't you? Not the Wednesday you up. <laughs> we love a hot, sweaty sex party uh, story. Woo-hoo. You can find Olea at Capricorn1089 on Instagram. Next up, Chewy May is a comic born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. She has over 20 years of social awkwardness under her belt. This story was recorded in December of 2021. Woo! Yes! Hey! hey. <laughs> Christmas growing up is weird. 
my relationship to Christmas is weird because I remember I we would always go to my aunt's house, and it, in my mind, my aunt had like a furnished basement, had an upstairs, had like multiple bathrooms. So I thought it was a mansion, right? So I was like, oh, I'm gonna go to my rich aunt's house. It's a mansion. But from what I learned from other people is that it was just a house in Westchester. In my mind, I'm like, it's a mansion. So that's the, that was only the only fun part of Christmas for me was just going to my rich aunt's house. And then one time we, my family hosted. To me, that was fun. I was like, ha, huh, I'm going to bring you guys back to see how us common people celebrate Christmas. And then we all just like gathered up in the living room or gathered up in one of the bedrooms and played games. And I still remember that I got a pre- present from my cousin. And it was like the first present that I felt like I was seeing because aunts and uncles, I like, gave like dresses or money or whatever. But like this present, I remember opening it and it was the Toy Story alien. And it was like the three eyes, the one that was like the claw. And I felt like that like, I was seen in it because I was like, I was really excited because I love Toy Story. But she then she told me, she's like, oh, because you like boy things. So I got you a boy thing. And I felt really seen by that. And that was amazing. And that was like the last amazing Christmas we had together. Because I remember by the time like high school came around, family Christmases changed to a point where I had to have like a prepared speech of like, oh, yes, no boyfriends for college. No boys. I love Jesus. School is good. Jesus is great. So it came to a point where I remember like dreading going to my rich aunt's house, dreading answering questions with like, I love Jesus. No boyfriends yet. I remember in high school, we learned about like how not everybody has to celebrate Christmas. And one time we actually did not have Christmas and just went to watch Harry Potter instead. And that was like amazing for me. I was like, are we sinning now? Is it, is sin, is this okay? Are we okay? Can we watch a movie on Jesus's birthday instead? Like I felt like sinful, but like good sinful because I was with my sisters and we're all watching a movie together. And like this past the year of not seeing family for Christmas, it makes, it's like bittersweet. Like I do miss the awkward questions of boyfriends or no boyfriends, but yeah, I kind of miss it now, which is weird. Everybody give it up for Chewy May. Yay. Thank you. And thanks for coming back and doing the show again. You can find Chewy at ChewyComedy.com. C-H-E-W-Y. Oh my goodness, we have a fourth story. Joey Kipp is a New York City dancer and performer. Joey's story was recorded in January of 2021. I am reporting from my sister's shed slash craft studio in the Bay Area, California. So I'm from Brazil, or was adopted from Brazil, grew up in the Bay Area, Mountain View, California. And um, my godfather was really a part of, really a huge part of my life. And I remember the first time we went hot tubbing, I saw his chest hair was like, oh my God, I think I, I think I like men. This is sexy this <laughs> whole chest hair experience with the bubbles and everything and the froth so before i was six years old um i was just an infant 
I was so addicted to my pacifier. My godfather said, McGee, my mom, you gotta wean him off of that because he's gonna be a cocksucker when he grows up. Fast forwarding, I'm in high school and Boogie Nights comes out and I am so enamored by Heather Graham. Just the short shorts, the rollerblades. She sucks dick. She gets to seek revenge on people and smash their faces in with her roller skates. I mean, how fierce can you get? So I wanted to be her. I wanted to be Roller Girl from Boogie Nights. So I joined the cross country team so I could have long, luscious legs like Heather Graham. My first job out of college in NYC was at a vegan ice cream store. I don't know if people know it, but it was called Stogos. And it was in the East Village across from St. Mark's Place. And it was kind of one of those places where a lot of celebrities would come in. But it was like a very like hole in the wall. Like we had a lot of regulars from the East Village. But then we would get like all these random celebrities that would like come in via limo. And it was just super bizarre. So one day I'm working at the cash register. And this woman comes in. And she's super nice. And she's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I, eat, I have Canadian coins. I was just working in Canada. Let me, I have to get some actual American money. So I'm like, okay, no worries. Take your time. So she get, pulls out her cash and walks away. And my friend goes, you know who that is, right? I said, no. I said, it's Heather Graham. I was so grateful. I did not know that it was Heather Graham because I would have been speechless. Like the whole time, I think I just stood at the cash register and ignored everyone and stared at her, like eating her ice cream and like licking it, talking to her gay best friend. I was just like, this is literally my high school dream come true. Anyways, um, I got fired. <laughs> I went to re-speech thinking I had a day off and I got fired. So it was another way I got to celebrate my queerness and um, channel my Heather Graham-esque by being at the beach and engaging in all sorts of activities. Anyways, after that, I was uh, gay bashed and I was hit by a car from the PTSD of the gay bashing and I was back in the Bay Area. When I was, I was recovering, I was working as a data entry clerk at this company where my mom works. And I had a zine. And when I was in New York, there was this guy on the Upper East Side that I met on Adam for Adam. And he was a super sexy French guy, uncut, like eight inch dick, but he was super into like cheesy foreskin, which I was like, foreskin, yes, cheese, no. She's going vegan tonight. So I put the whole story in the zine, which I was photocopying and Xeroxing like at the data entry job. I'm like, you know, like photocopying like cartoon dicks and cart like me sucking cheese and like all these weird cartoons of me and like dicks and phallic imagery and other bizarre mice and this one guy shows up and he's like what are you doing I'm like oh I'm like working on my zine and he's like oh can I buy one I'm like sure he's like super super daddy bald shiny black tall super ripped and I was like yes daddy you can you can buy my zine it's just a dollar for you and so he's reading the zine and my mom is like Joey he read this and you were photocopying in the office? You know he's the one that is in charge of all of the purchasing for the company. So I'm like, well, at least the money went to good use. So I decided, you know what? I might not still have my pacifier, 
but I'm a roller skating, disco, dick sucking, leggy version of Heather Graham with black skin. And that's my flow story. Thank you everyone so much for listening. I'm sorry, it was like a bunch of different little stories. I love you, Joey. I love you too. Thank you. I want to read your zine. You're Bye. very Heather Graham and you're gorgeous. Thank you so much. Yay. Have a beautiful day, everyone. Beautiful evening. Thank you. You can find Joey at jkipster on Instagram. K-I-P-P-S-T-E-R. Coming up next, you guessed it, a fifth story. <laughs> Noye Brown West is a New York-based Nigerian-American comedian, producer, and writer. This story was recorded in April of 2021. Oh my goodness. Okay, so I have a, I used to have a bragging problem. I had a bragging problem because every time I bragged, something bad would happen. I don't know what I believe in, to be honest. I don't know if I, if I believe in God or whatever, but the powers that be something would always make things go poorly for me every time I bragged. So a lot of my bragging throughout my childhood was about my abilities as an active child, right? I was always like, oh, I'm very good at that sport. I'm great at tennis. I, I swim really well. And my sisters always outshined me. They were always better at everything. So we all had tennis lessons. We all had swimming lessons when we were kids. And I was the only one that took four years of swimming lessons and could barely do doggy paddle. I probably gained like 16 pounds as a child, but not like the good weight, like of just growing. Literally five years old, all of a sudden 16 pounds heavier because my swim teacher would give me Tootsie Pops every time I came for a lesson because she thought I was cute. So instead of teaching me like she taught my sisters, she just fattened me up. It was, it was incredible, all right? So years later, we moved to a place called Marshall, Massachusetts, and we had <laughs> we had a pool. Years before that, we were impoverished, right? We were honestly living in poverty. And again, that's something that happened to me and not my sister somehow. Like I'll talk about childhood and I'll be like, oh, do you remember the year that I slept on a weenie pad on the floor? And my sisters will be like, oh, we always had a bed. When was that? I'm like, what? <laughs> you don't remember when, when your sister? <laughs> slept on a wee-wee pad? Okay, great. But we finally, we had a pool and I used to swim in that pool every day. I, I was a huge weirdo. So I just sit on the bottom of the pool and just like hold my breath. But people in my school, they all knew that I had a pool. And one day we went to the North River, which is a, a dark water river. And actually the movie Jaws was based on something that happened in the North River, right? And I knew that because everybody that grows up in Marshfield knows that. We're like, oh yeah, the movie Jaws was based on our town. <laughs> so we went to the North River and there was a rope swing there. And I was very excited. I was like, oh, I love rope swings. Like, but really I'd never been on one, but I was like, oh, I love them in my head. I love the, the theory of them. So it was my turn to go on the rope swing. I was with four of my friends. And I jumped off the rope swing, landed in the water, I opened my eyes in the water. It was dark. And I started to have a what? 
panic attack. I started to have a panic attack in the North River. So I was able, I do, like, I was able to swim to the shore because when you're panicking and you do know how to swim a little bit, you will naturally just be like, help, and go to the shore. But all they saw was me have a panic attack. They're like, oh my God, this woman does not know how to swim. And they said that immediately. I was like, no, I do know how to swim. Like, I have a pool. And then I started thinking it was a racial thing because, like, three of them were white. I was like, ooh, okay. So I didn't really hang out with them that much after that. But I was like, no, I do know how to swim. What are you talking about? I'm a very good swimmer. So years later, I still had this bragging problem that I always do when I was flirting or anything. And I meet my now husband and his family. I was very nervous around them because I could tell that I was like the first black person they really even interacted with. So it was hard. It was hard off the bat. He turned out normal somehow, but you know, his family race relations were an issue. So they really, really tried hard to learn about me. And I tried hard to engage with them at first. Yeah. I mean, they're from Connecticut. It's just, <laughs> that is definitely the worst type of white. No offense. Cause I know some of you are from there, uh, but it's like being married to the villain from an eighties movie. I digress. It really is. Blaine, that's him. All right. It's just pretty in pink. Yes. He is. He is Steph and Blaine and one and his family is as well. It's just not, it wasn't a very welcoming situation for me. <laughs> so they took me on a Christmas trip. So this was like six years ago. They took me on a Christmas trip and whoo, it was all right. We went to Belize and it was nice. And I immediately tried to speak to the locals because they looked like me and <laughs> I just wanted to feel comfortable. I learned about the history of Belize they were colonized by everybody, right? Like the British were there, the French were there, the Spanish were there. So I spent a lot of time just trying to talk to locals because I got on a flight after the rest of the family. I had to work and the pilot was reading a book while he was driving the plane. And I was like, this is it. I'm about to die on the way to this get out vacation. I was very, very scared, right? So I get to the get out vacation finally. I was just happy to be alive. And I was like, you know what? I was afraid of being with the family, but now I'm just like, this is great. I'm alive and everything's going to be okay. So the first day there, they had a huge itinerary. They're a family that plans activities. Most of the activities involved getting drunk. So I was with it. I was like, yes, let's get drunk. Y'all make me nervous. The next day we were going snorkeling but it was like off the coast. It was going to be like deep sea snorkeling. There's some scuba people that were going to come with us. It was very exciting. And of course I was already bragging like, oh, I grew up in a beach town. Like I got this, like, oh, those little flippers, that makes it so easy. Like, oh yeah, I swim in the ocean. Who doesn't swim in the ocean? I swim in the ocean, right? And I was just bragging the whole way there, just trying to connect with this family. And the instructor, there was a group of us, everybody there was white. Belize is one of those countries where white people go there. They love to go there and just be white visiting a country that is not white. Okay. So, so I was like the only black person in this whole group of people snorkeling. And I was also the only one who was asked if I needed a life vest. Yeah, so that's racism abroad and it follows you. And the instructors, they were all black as well, but they just looked at me and they're like, oh, black American, she doesn't know what she's doing. All right. So I looked the instructor in the face. I was very offended. I was like, excuse me, sir, uh, I know how to swim. 
I grew up with a pool and that pool was shaped like a cartoon duck swag. All right. So I got into the water and I started to have some, a little bit of trouble. I did. <laughs> and at first I was like, oh no, I'm just, I'm keeping up with everybody else. We got maybe 20 feet out and I was like, all right, I'm keeping up with everybody else. The instructor started to pay a lot of attention to me and I was right next to the instructor. And then finally he's just like, hey, uh, there's fire coral right underneath you and you're getting real close to the fire coral. And I was just like, I got this, I'm fine. And then I looked down and there was a huge bush of fire coral right underneath me and I started to panic. I started to panic. And all of a sudden my swimming just failed. Like my body just like didn't even know what to do because we are so far away from the shore at this point when I realized like, oh my God, if I touch the fire coral and my legs start to burn, I didn't know what was going to happen to me if I touched the fire coral, first of all, because they really should just like let you touch it because it's nothing. It doesn't really feel like anything. It's fine. But in my mind, I was like, I'm going to go paralyzed if I touch the fire coral. I'm not going to be able to swim back to shore. And we're very far out. So I started to panic. So he had brought like two life vests with him because I refuse a life vest. And he gave me one of the life vests because he was like, okay, now she's having a panic attack. See what happens when Black people are in water. And I was so mad. So he gave me the life vest. I put it on. And that was mistake number two, I got to say, because I don't know if anyone here has ever swam in a life vest. It's difficult. And I didn't know that because I had never used a life vest in my life before. So I, I put it on and all of a sudden I couldn't swim the way I normally do. I couldn't swim flat. And I started to like bobble and I started to sink even more than I was before. So the panic attack just grew. And I was just like, help, I need help. I'm drowning in a life vest. I didn't even know this was possible. Help me. And my arms up flailing. I was just, my now husband was next to me and he was like, all right, let me take you back to shore. Just grab my life vest and just start dragging me back to shore. And I felt like Rose and Titanic. We get back to shore, I take off the life vest. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go back out without the pressure of racial tension. And I went back out by myself and I did amazing by myself. I made friends with fish and we were chilling and it was amazing. Okay. So I've been no yay. Thank you very, very much. <laughs> I think that you should brag that you survived that vacation really Hats off to you. Woo! Oh, yay! Yeah! Your stories forever! You can find Noye at non-e-fizzle. That's N-O-N-E-E-F-I-Z-Z-L-E on Instagram. Our last story... Anthony D. Oakes is a DC-based comedian who is taking comedy on the East Coast by storm. This story was recorded in February of 2022 for the Black History Month show hosted and curated by Calvin Cato. All right, beautiful people, make some noise. If you're a beautiful person, make some noise. Beautiful people. Oh. Um, my name is Anthony Oakes. I'm originally from North Carolina. Anybody ever been in North Carolina? Oh, North Carolina. We make cigarettes. Um, <laughs> it's our claim to fame. 
I recently did a live show at the wharf in DC. Uh, they were taking temperatures at the door. Uh, I was on CP time. Some of y'all know what that is. Some of you may not. Ask your neighbor. When I got there, the guy said, I can't let you down until I take your temperature. I said, cool. Uh, he put the device to my head. It didn't beep. I said, okay, I'm on the show. I need to get downstairs. He said, oh, let me go get the other one. Do you know this man came back with an actual stick thermometer? And it didn't even have the plastic sheath on it. It was raw dog. And you would think that I'm into that, but I'm not. But I took one for the team, though. Yeah, I let him take my temperature, and then I pulled up my pants and went downstairs. Sometimes you have to be a giver and a receiver. Um, uh, I am gay. Yeah, I know. Such a, the zebra print sweater, give it away. I don't. I try to be on the down low, you know? I don't wanna be out there. I didn't know that I was gay though. I just thought that I was really into men's fitness magazines. Or wrestling, you know what I'm saying? It's the positions for me just to like, I don't know how you. It just seems so gay. So. Yeah, I um, talk about overcoming. Uh, I grew up in the church. Anybody else grow up in the church? Okay, therapy, 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 <laughs> therapy. We have counselors in the back for you. Um, it's crazy. People don't realize how difficult it is being a gay child, you know, in church. You know, you're giving God your all, and then the preacher's like, you're going to hell. Like, that's traumatic, right? Like, the whole time, I was like, what am I going to wear in hell? <laughs> Probably something backless. You know what I'm saying? Get a little... Hell tan back there. Yeah, both my parents were ministers. Yeah, thank you for that sympathy like that. I felt that. Yeah, it was very difficult. It was very difficult, uh, especially when you're 13. You know, you're going through puberty. Uh, you know, you're in your room with the door closed, trying to see what's going on with your 13-year-old body. And my dad took the door off the hinges. Well, ain't no closed doors, no black daddy house, no way. Open that door, you don't pay no bills in this house. So where's the next place you go to feel comfortable? Oh, we could, <laughs> yes. I'm, <laughs> I feel like you were on Jeopardy. Like, I'll take bathroom for 600, Alex. Double Jeopardy. That's what I thought, too. I thought the bathroom was like a safe space, you know? But I would literally be in the bathroom, you know, <laughs> seeing what's going on with my 13-year-old body. And my mom would be on the other side of the door like, Anthony, what are you doing in there? You know Jesus is watching. So for the longest time, I thought Jesus was gay too. Like, okay, Jesus, watching over me in the bathroom. God is still in the blessing business. But that's weird. Now I've got to tell your father. It's a whole thing. Um, yeah, I recently got engaged. Um, yeah, I'm. 
I'm engaged to a bleegan. Um, anybody know what that is? It's a black vegan. <laughs> yeah. It's the same as a, as a vegan. They're just always late for dinner. Um, it's crazy. Uh, speaking of love, like here's where my overcoming came from. I am a uh, recovering cocaine addict. I've been clean for six years. Yeah, it was difficult. Like, you know, I try to explain how difficult it was to give up cocaine um, because it was so good. Um, and I try to tell people, like, just imagine, like, you're Joe Biden and cocaine is, like, the Build Back Better bill. <laughs> like, that's how hard it is to, like, very difficult. Uh, I never thought that I would find love. I never thought that I would find purpose. Uh, and if I did, that I would just snort it. <laughs> I was living in North Carolina. I had to get away. I felt stifled. I do come from the church. And when you don't know your purpose in the church, it's like you're basically an outcast. Uh, I didn't know what I was going to do. I was older. But I just felt like I could not thrive in North Carolina. I moved up to uh, D.C. about eight years ago. And uh, I worked for a natural hair care salon. And one day, this guy came in, and he was like, God, dude, you are so funny. Have you ever thought about, like, doing stand-up? And I was like, well, you know, people say I'm funny. Ha, 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 you know, ha, ha. Man, I can tell a joke or two, you know. But, you know, I was like, you know, people tell me that all the time. But he was like, no, my homeboy, um, he's a comedian. You know, I'm going to give you his name and number. And then you can, you know, hook up with him and he can, like, show you the ropes. And, you know, I and I'm shampooing him at this point. So I'm really hearing, like, wah, 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 as he's talking. But he gave me the number. I looked at it, but I feel like I left it in my pants and washed them in the washing machine or something. And about... I'd say not a month later, another client comes into the salon and I'm shampooing her. She was like, oh my God, like you're so funny. Like, have you ever thought about doing stand-up? I was like, wow, that's crazy that you said that. This guy just came in here and he said the, the same thing. She said, I'm taking a workshop. I feel like you should, you know, take the workshop. My boss overheard the conversation. He was like, I'll give you off. You know what I'm saying? And let you, because you are funny. And, and I used to, you know, like, go through the salon and make people laugh and, you know, do a little. But it kind of got a little coonish to me. You know, like, I didn't want to go, you know, be tap dancing through the salon. Like, mur, mur, mur. But um, I, took the, I took the workshop. Uh, it was probably about, like, eight weeks or so. And then they do a showcase. So... I did the showcase, and when I told my first joke ever, it was as if time stopped, and this wave of epiphany just rolled over me and was just like, you have to stop doing drugs. This is your purpose. You should have been doing this your entire life. This is what you're here for. And as I'm telling these jokes, like I hear the laughter coming in, but in my head, there's a whole nother thing going on. And that's when I stopped doing cocaine. Well, actually, that was in November of 2015, I think. And then that following February, we got snowed in in D.C., 
Um, and then I got snowed in um, <laughs> in D.C. Uh, and then I was just so, because I had gone for like three months, you know what I'm saying, without doing it. And I was just so disgusted with, you know, me falling off the wagon. But after that, it was just like smooth sailing. I found my fiance. We've been together for six years. It, it's just been a whirlwind. So I just encourage people to find their purpose, uh, live in their truth, uh, and you will truly overcome. And that's my story. My name is Anthony Oaks. And I appreciate you all. Give it up for your host, Mr. Calvin. Anthony Oaks, everybody, huge round of applause. And congratulations. You can find Anthony at Anthony Oaks Comedian on Instagram. And that last name is O-A-K-E-S. Ah, thank you so much for tuning in. And queer folks, remember, if you don't tell your story, someone else will. So get out there and... is created, hosted, and produced by me, Dre Campbell. The stories are recorded live on Zoom or on location at the Bureau of General Services Queer Division, a pop and pop bookshop and event space in the LGBTQ Center in Manhattan. Go say hi to Greg and Donnie who run BGSQT and tell them we sent you or follow them at BGSQD. The Tell Podcast is produced by Emily Bogosian, recorded at Brick House in downtown Brooklyn by Zach Sherzad, Eric Haugesag, and Onel Moulet, and edited by Lauren Klein. Our theme songs were written and recorded by Dre Campbell and Peter Letra. Charlie Hoxie and Kai Youngblood are the wind beneath our wings. Remember to follow us on Spotify, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google us on Google Play and slide into our DMs at Tell Queers or DreBiz on Instagram. That's Queers and Biz with a Z, obviously. And you know what? If you like me specifically, check me out on DreCampbell.com. Tell is part of the Brick family. For more information on this and all Brick podcasts, visit BrickArtsMedia.org. Go tell your own if I may be.